0: Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Welcome back to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. I'm so happy to be getting back to this podcast where I can bring you interesting stories from experts and the people who have touched my life in some way. So in light of some of the recent news around sexuality issues like the new law in Texas, it has become increasingly clear to me how needed sexual health education is. My heart hurts for what is happening in our country and especially the way that God is being used as a way to hurt people. That is one reason why I love my next guest, Amy Johnson, who works hard to bring inclusive sexual health education to the masses with God's love entwined throughout. I know that many people feel scared about bringing sexual health into places like schools, but really, I see it as a social justice issue. Everyone should know how bodies work, especially In the area of sexual intimacy. When we don't have that knowledge, we then are more apt to enter into experiences that are not the best for us. So we need to keep working on making a world a healthier one. And that means understanding emotional wellness, empathy, dignity, equitable pleasure, agency, and autonomy all things that are involved in comprehensive sexual health education. When we make that accessible to all people, then we have the ability to change our world. I 100% believe this. We learn about consent and healthy relationships and that bodies have different stories. And it's important to understand these stories So with my little speech that I just gave, (laughs) because I've been fired up for a little while, let's listen to Amy Johnson, who brings these conversations into church spaces to elicit the joy of God's love and creation. Today, I am speaking with Amy Johnson. Amy is the Minister for Sexuality Education and Justice for the United Church of Christ and oversees Our Whole Lives, which is a sexual health curriculum. Our Whole Lives, for those of you who don't know, is one of the most comprehensive and science-based curriculums that is out there for churches. The curriculum starts for children in kindergarten and goes into adulthood. Amy is also a clinical licensed social worker in the state of Washington a certified sexuality health educator, a coach, speaker, and an author. She has a website called Diligent Joy where you can find her work. When I spoke with Amy, I felt as though we could not stop talking. I mean, we really couldn't stop talking. (laughs) There was just a spark of joy for sure with her. Amy has been doing this work now for around sexuality and faith for around 20 years, over 20 years. And she is definitely an expert in her field and Amy, I'm just so excited that you are joining me today. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you today.
0: This is great. I just loved that, um, again, I reached out to you because I heard you on a, another podcast and I heard everything that you had to say. And I was just like, this person is my soul sister. <laughs>
1: just And it really
0: was like we couldn't stop talking
1: when we met. It really was like that so much.
0: So I'm just in awe that um, I just love that you're doing this work too. And just how you go about it. And I already know how you have touched so many people with the work that you have done. So I would love if you could tell us exactly how long you have been doing this work. And then what made you get into sexuality education with a faith lens? Yeah, wow. I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint like the exact
1: beginning, you know, because things kind of flow into each other. And in um, my work as a social worker, I did a lot of work in schools and um, in the beginning of my career. And there were always conversations um, with youth and children and, and families and parents about bodies and relationships and, and all kinds of things. Um, and then I started doing youth work with my church, mm-hmm. and when I did that, um, there were, you know, there were new different and different conversations about mm-hmm. relationships and with a an, another lens in there with the faith thing. In terms of the Our Whole lives stuff in particular, and that particular um, piece, I think I, I look back and think about how many pieces of what I was doing came together together. Um, in this work, in this particular, our whole lives work that I've been doing since about 2006. That's when I took my first our whole lives specific training, and um, and the thing that 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 did was really focus me on why this was so important to me and what I'd been feeling called to for a long time was just becoming more specific, and um, and I was having a a framework that I could work with and things were just falling into place all over the the place for me. And I tell people it was like a sweet spot for me because um, if you think of like a Venn diagram with a bunch of different circles on it (laughs) overlapping, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I loved working with youth and families. I just really, really loved that. And I loved doing things that were relevant for them, Mm -hmm. you know, things that lit them up and made them excited to come to youth group and talk about things. And then we have this, and sexuality was definitely that because here they are, middle schoolers and high schoolers living this, Mm -hmm. so many pieces of this every day with friendships and relationships and crushes and boundaries and consent and communication and all of that stuff. And then we have a faith lens, which was just beautiful. And there was also this kind of social justice component embedded within our whole lives that um, has to do with gender justice and lgbtq rights and um, all those things that just all that all that overlapping just really really lit a spark in me and made me feel like um this was something that needed to be lifted up and that i um i felt really like i was doing god's work in in the world and it was needed this was something where there weren't as many voices lifting this up in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. <laughs> but that's um, that's kind of what made me get into it. And just the more I did it, the more I, um, the more conversations I had with youth, the more conversations I had with parents, the more conversations I had with um, people in my congregation than outside my congregation, then more Christians, then more people of faith all over the place, it just kept um, kept growing. And it was just obvious that this was really a need for people to have these kind of conversations and have safe places to have them.
0: Okay, so did you find then that the youth were so were willing? And did they come to you first and start asking the questions? And then that's kind of where some of this blossomed?
1: Yeah, I think there were more than one thing happening at once. One is that youth are always um, talking about their friendships and relationships and and those kind of things. So those questions were already alive. And and there were also dynamics, you know, within the youth group as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't necessarily mean sexual dynamics, but when I talk about sexuality, I'm talking about like a, a broad... Mm-hmm. a broad definition of that that includes intimacy and includes communication and it includes um you know what is my identity and how do I take care of my body and what are my relationships like and all of those kind of things yeah so um so that was happening and then I also had just heard from other youth directors about this thing called our whole lives mm-hmm. and there okay. was a training uh, relatively nearby and uh and I decided to check it
0: out and it was a fit <laughs>
1: Such a fit. And I think I think one of the things that I love so much about it, and I can go on and on and on, mm-hmm. so don't hesitate to interrupt me. <laughs> and But I hear this from other people too. The thing about our whole lives is and the thing about having this, um, this set of curricula that are um, written in age-appropriate ways to give the information that the uh, Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States and the National Sexuality Education Standards are based on that. So it's you know, like you were saying, science-based. You know, it's based on evidence that these are um, these are age-appropriate things to be talking about, and the way we talk about them at different ages is appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, but having those having those curricula so that they lead people through what kinds of questions to ask, what kinds of activities to do, and how to process them. So it's not just an information dump, but it's really a way to um, to have those conversations in age-appropriate manner, mm-hmm. that that just keeps building on itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's something that's really needed. We can talk about, about the general idea of talking to people about sexuality and faith, but if we don't give people uh, some parameters around how to do that, then um, then you know it cannot go well sometimes.
0: Yeah, and I think what's key that you said in the beginning is that element that sexuality includes so many things because we hear sexuality and I know I have spoken with people before where I think they think mostly of our identity and orientation but as you said it involves intimacy communication and a whole gamut of things so then there's actually a lot more that we can be talking about and a lot more that we can be integrating even like at a young age, that's why I love that it starts within kindergarten, right? Because we need to teach about emotions and how we feel about them and how do we uh, handle our anger and different things like that, right? That all kind of then is processed within to our relationships and how we work together. Yeah, absolutely. So what is for you, what have you noticed then throughout all the different communities, too, that you have provided education for. Uh, where do you believe that people need the most education around sexuality? That's such a great question. Um, I will say, this kind of goes
1: back to what you were just saying and how we've been talking about the breadth of this. And I was actually just having a conversation this morning with an elementary school principal. Hmm. And I... Um, The concern was they were working on like diversity and inclusion and parents were getting upset because the, you know, the letters LGBTQ had been used in elementary school and parents weren't ready to have that conversation. And I was saying, you know, I think that when that happens, people are equating this idea of the wholeness of sexuality with sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we're talking about. It's, I mean, we do talk about sexual behavior um, for risk reduction and, and helping kids know um, how things happen and, and how to prevent pregnancy and how to prevent STIs as they get older. We talk about that. That's not what we talk about in kindergarten. Right. Um, But uh, the idea that um, when we're talking about inclusion, in in elementary school, we're just talking that what they were really needing to talk about was family diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all kinds of families out there. There's families, different kinds of families in our community. And let's talk about that and include everyone so that no one feels shamed or stigmatized or bullied just because of the type of family that they live in. And to incorporate that, anything that had to do with, uh, two moms or two dads also with somebody might have one parent or live with grandparents or live with a mom and a dad Mm -hmm. or live with a foster family or be adopted or, you know, or have a parent in a wheelchair. I mean, just let's talk about all the beautiful and amazing diversity there is in the world. And, um, and not just single out something to not talk about Mm -hmm. because of some, lack of education that we as grown-ups have had. So I think that that really is something that um, I believe people can be can experience a lot of um, relief from and um, and healing even to think oh there are so many things that I could be talking with my kids about. We can be talking about family diversity. We can be talking about body shapes. We can be yes. talking about, you know, how to be kind and respectful to all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be talking about how to com- communicate with people we don't agree with. You know, all those kinds of things are amazing life skills and um, express the breadth and the depth of what what we're trying to talk about um, yeah. more than just sexual behavior.
0: Yeah, I, I typically, when I talk with parents, I remind them, you know, I say, uh, we as adults are the ones who eroticize everything. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Children don't,
0: (laughs) right? Yeah, they
1: don't have that experience. They don't have have that experience.
0: So they're not doing that. And so it's okay to have these conversations, like you said, and to, I love that uh, you talked about recognizing family diversity and, you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that kids also don't even, some of them don't live with a mom and a dad and, uh, or parents. And they have, like you said, grandparents or foster families and things. And that's so important, right, to highlight and understand. So yeah, that you helped educate the principle around that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think he knew that, but it was just like, he was looking for that kind of age appropriate way to discuss things. And I think that kind of trips people up. So, Sometimes I think, "Oh, you're going to do sexuality education with my kindergartner. You know, what are you going to be talking about? Well, we're going to be talking about bodies and Mm -hmm. how you need to ask if you're going to touch another body. You don't just grab things away from people. Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of um, those kinds of things uh, are important.
0: I would like to say then when we think about community, right, and we are having these conversations around sexuality and helping people understand, like you said, the breadth of it and helping people understand that we can talk about these at, uh, these topics at all ages. Um, I want to talk a little bit then about the church because as we also see people, I would say, upset in the community and holding backlash like within school systems and stuff about what they think is appropriate or not appropriate to talk about we also obviously get that within church and I know that church has injured a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, within their sexuality so or around their sexuality so what can the church do to change that and how do you think they can change that
1: well, that is a big question.
0: Answer it in three. <laughs> and I think three, <laughs> three words <laughs> or less. Go. <laughs> Love your body.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, <Brilliant. laughs> yeah, I think. Um, so so seriously though, we have when we talk about the church. I mean, there's so many different. There's so many different iterations of church right there's so many different denominations there's so many different doctrines and creeds I I think that they um but how do I just say this so I have a colleague that I've presented with before and she talks about how whether you're Christian or not if you live in the United States you have a relationship with the Bible yeah because people use the bible they quote and misquote the bible they cherry pick things they um, and they use it as a weapon they Mm -hmm. use it as a weapon um, internally in church politically in our society um, all over the place some people i think have good intentions and we have different theologies around um what different scripture verses mean, you know, we have different understandings of interpretation and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we need to stop beating people up with it. Yes, because the first and most important commandment is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind. And so we need to live out that 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 commandment from Jesus to Mm -hmm. love each other, and to love God. And when we do that, then we can't hate each other. Mm. And we shouldn't be uh, harming anyone. Mm -hmm. So that I think is really the bottom line for me. I also really believe there's nothing, honestly, I, the Roman scripture, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I believe Mm. that with all my heart. And I also, also truly believe that god created humankind and said it is very good yeah and there are not caveats around that Mm. so i think that um what the church can do is to live into the love commandment and to um to really create space to have discussions and to be willing to love people um and I also think about Rachel Held Evans and her saying Mm -hmm. that, you know, the gospel isn't so amazing for who it leaves out, but who it lets in. Yeah. So, um, so remembering that uh, and continuing to have conversations and to create safe spaces for people.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. No, that's so, first, I love that you immediately answered that question with love your body. (laughs) I was... Yeah, I mean there is a, you
1: know, there is like a uh there's also I mean we could get like we can talk forever right? So yeah. we can get into the whole um you know theology around that the spirit is pure and the body is not and mm. I just don't believe that. I believe I that either. our bodies were created by God and they were created as good mm-hmm. and it's where we live and if we uh love them, truly love them, then we're going to care for them in a whole different way than if we don't. And if we love our own bodies and love our neighbors as ourselves and love each other, um, you know, in whatever shape and size we're in, whatever state of health we're in, um, whatever challenges we're working on, but but giving that love to our bodies and to other people's bodies, not in a sexual way but in a spiritual way Mm -hmm. of loving and caring and accepting one another
0: and I think there's also this um I I also want to say like a clarification around love because I think I think we also have to offer people grace around the fact that uh, sometimes love is hard right it's hard Mm -hmm. to do and like it looks different for different people and so we have to also then live into this variety of and variance of love and knowing that it changes with how we grow (laughs) yeah yeah and I think that's where people get maybe held up and around some of that because we didn't we're also I don't think we fully grasp but that love is is hard yeah. because we were shown all the time these romanticized versions of what love could be and we have such a limited vocabulary mm-hmm. around love you know yeah
1: yeah I I have a a very dear friend and um she and I uh, started a a practice gosh it's been it's been over a year now um I'm gonna start. I'm gonna be one of those people that starts measuring things like by the pandemic. You know, like I know we were doing it before that started.
0: Who knows what time was before this? Anyway, Anyway. yeah.
1: (laughs) Anyway, um, we decided that we were um, gonna be self-care partners, accountability partners about our Mm self-care. And um, so we we talk multiple times a week and uh, tell each other what we're doing for self-care. And we did that for a while. I thought, something's missing here. And, uh, and we realized that we were equating sometimes self-care with self-indulgence.
0: Hmm.
1: And that sometimes yeah. that was what we needed, but sometimes it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that loving ourselves and working on our wellness meant that we were doing hard things too, yes. you know, like... Um, exercising, even if we didn't feel like it, or, you know, having the healthy choice or having a difficult conversation with someone. um, Because those were really about loving ourselves, you know, and having boundaries and caring for ourselves. So I think, um, I think you're right. I think uh, that when we say, uh, and when I say love each other or love our bodies, it isn't always easy. And it's a perpetual growth, growth experience. And for me, it's a lifetime of living into the amazing, unconditional love that God has for me, Mm -hmm. and the grace that God gives me. How do I live into that? Yeah, it's, it can be overwhelming if I think about it too long.
0: You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And think, you know, I'm always every day thank god for grace you know (laughs) thank god that you're loving me how do i do that for myself and put on those jeans you know definitely so do you find with that um that you are reframing that for people with uh in terms of sexuality and faith right yeah two things i mean you kind of answer that question but is that the typical reframing that you're offering them, or is there something more that you're
1: finding? Yeah, I think that's at the core of it, but it really is reframing that sexuality and um, all of what that means is a positive and sacred part of who we are and not a shameful part. Mm. And giving some legs to that, if you will, in terms of uh, conversations and affirmations and scripture, Mm -hmm. you know, that... um, giving things for people of faith to hold on to uh, and, and recognize, because I think that we kind of live in this society where um, the, the water we swim in is that Christianity says sexuality is bad and shameful. Yeah, And, um, and first of all, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places where it doesn't say that. And a lot of churches that don't say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But not saying that it's not bad, in my opinion, isn't enough to counter that, right? Like, I think that it's really important that we have to say um, clearly and consistently that this work is about dismantling shame and stigma around bodies and relationships, because if we're not living in that space of shame and stigma, then we're living in a place of joy and acceptance. And the more we can do that, the more we're living into fully who we are as beloved children of God.
0: I just, I want that so much for everybody.
1: (laughs) Right. I kind of feel like we could have world peace if we had that.
0: (laughs) And it's like, even when you said that, it's like, I felt my heart space, you know, in the center of my chest mm-hmm. just start to well up and it's it's because i just i you just see how much people walk around i think with so much hurt and yeah. with so much shame. Yeah. And i'm like, and why do we continuously feed the beast? Yeah. And why do we continuously you know, think negatively about ourselves? think about the fact that something in terms of connecting to another or ourselves has a sense of shame around it you know and that when I think as you talked about it is good right and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, there's so much that can be explored there and obviously there's you know different view viewpoints that we have around the sense of sexual intimacy in of itself but I just feel like if we were able to peel back those layers of shame that we have just instilled in, onto people for centuries, yeah, uh, and taking away the generational shame as well, again, yeah. the world just would operate so much differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, we could go down a whole road about patriarchy and history,
0: I think, but I also think- How um, much time do we
1: have? Yeah, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I- um, I feel like though this is a place to kind of insert that I kind of have a soapbox. I don't kind of. I do. I have a mm. soapbox about the difference between abstinence and virginity. Oh yeah. You know that idea that um, people use virginity to shame other people. Yeah. And to yes. control other people and to um, to put a, um, a sense of worth on them based on this one word that. Um, you know, really is a construct. It really is. Mm -hmm. Abstinence, on the other hand, is an empowering idea that I get to choose Mm. when, if, and with whom I engage in sexual behavior. And I don't have to, uh, I can decide that whether I'm in a relationship or not, whether I'm married or not, I can have a different idea on Tuesday than I do on Friday. I don't have to keep going and do something more or more complicated or more intimate just because I did something last week. Mm-hmm. I get to choose. And so um, we all have times in our lives when we are abstaining from sexual behavior yeah. and days and times of the day. And, uh, you know, we all do. Yeah. And so that is an empowering idea rather than a label that is placed on someone and somehow, uh, you know, increases shame and stigma.
0: And I think also saying, and it's the abstinence, like you said, I get to choose and that you don't get to choose for me. Yep. You know? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's, I have, I have, Lots of, you know, conflicted feelings, again, around the abstinence and virginity conversations because of the fact that it is so much about power. And I like how you just made that distinction around the fact that abstinence is the choice and virginity is that sense of control.
1: Yeah. And it leads to real harm, too. I want to say that because I know I have you know, heard just way too many stories and I have heard way too many health professionals talk about young people they have treated who were um, engaging in behaviors that were seriously risky and harmful to their health in the name of preserving their virginity, meaning they didn't have, you know, penal vaginal intercourse, but then they were having, you know, anal intercourse or they were doing things, um, you know, without, the kind of care and, um, and gentleness that it takes to do something safely, or mm-hmm. just not using protection, because they didn't think it was necessary, because they wouldn't get pregnant.
0: Exactly. And,
1: you know, just um, the harm is real. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's only physical, right? That doesn't even take into consideration the, the emotional and, and, uh,
0: and mental concerns around that and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's that whole, there's like a whole dynamic around not using contraceptives because then since the, the verbiage they had received is you can't have sex without defining what sex is for them mm-hmm. <laughs> until marriage. And so then if you use a condom, I feel, or if you use contraceptives, then that places you into a category. Mm-hmm. And so then there, then the thought is, I can't be in that category. And so then they, there's a proceeding with unsafe. Exactly. Uh, actions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot too of what you're, we're kind of touching on it because with, with a lot of that uh, rhetoric and information we receive from those who grew up in Uh, lots of different church environments, not all church environments said that, but some of them, um, maybe the loudest, (laughs) (laughs) maybe the loudest. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people then who are entering into partnerships that are having, you know, problems within their sexual intimacy because of what they've been told. Mm -hmm. And I know I have a lot of sex therapists who reach out to me because so many of their clients are Christian, who are struggling with us, so what do you feel that sex therapists need to hear um, to help them treat this demographic more effectively?
1: Wow, I um, well, first of all, I think they all need to read Linda K. Klein's book, Pure. Oh yes, right. <laughs> because yeah, and I, I really, I'm like serious, you know, <laughs> because um, oh, yeah. I think sometimes. Um, Sometimes sex therapists have their own, um, to have gotten to that place and the education that they need to receive and the, um, all the, all the, um, all the educational pieces that they go through to receive that kind of certification. They do not, that does not, um, always line up with some of the traditional Christianity messages that we're, you and I hear all the time, right? Yeah, And so um, so sometimes I think that sex therapists don't know what to do with Christians and Christians don't know what to do about sex, right? So it's just exactly. kind of this, exactly. this like, <laughs> giant mess and, um, and it doesn't have to be. And, and one of the things I love about Linda's book is that um, she, in my opinion, she does such a great job of, um, of showing how deep those messages of faith are. Mm-hmm, because yes. sometimes um, in my experience people tend to think well why do people believe that why can't mm-hmm. they just change their mind about um, about what God said and that kind of thing and they don't realize like how deeply held beliefs are and how much people in faith communities feel like that's like a part of their family yeah. so mm-hmm. if I'm gonna leave my faith community or if I am going to, um, Uh, you know, say, I don't believe what my faith community has taught me. It's just not simple to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's really not simple when you're a child or a youth. Um, Mm -hmm. Many people can't do that until they're adults. And many people, as you were just saying, Um, encounter that for the first time when they realize that they've basically been sold a load because you know like oh it's shame you know sex is horrible shameful terrible and no good so you should save it for your wedding night and then oh lo and behold that shame doesn't go away just because there was a ceremony and a party Mm -hmm. so um, because shame goes deeply and stigma is deep and so um, I think that 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 is one thing that sex therapists need to know that this isn't just a matter of simply changing somebody's mind or going like oh why do you believe that so to treat that as um, as with respect and to treat that shame and stigma you know almost like trauma I think
0: but mm-hmm. becomes to, like um, a fingerprint you know yeah it's, yeah it's, it's like deeply woven <laughs> right into
1: right your and essence. it's easier it's so much easier in our society for us to blame ourselves and think there's something wrong with us than to, um, you know, uh, really sever ties with family mm-hmm. and, uh, and faith community is kind of peripheral family for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's one thing I think that, that they need to know is like, you're like, you're saying that fingerprint thing, and to treat that as really as deeply held beliefs and, um, and trauma, um, but to also know that there are those of us out there that do have an alternative message. And sometimes people need to hear that from somebody else who has sort of faith credentials, you know, like, yeah, um, like not not saying that anybody's therapy credentials aren't legit. They are. But sometimes people need the faith language. Mm -hmm. They need to hear scripture. Mm -hmm. has said to them in a different way. They need to hear that God loves them, that God created their body and called them very good, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made no matter who they are and who they love. Mm -hmm. Um, They need to hear some of that, uh, that faith language. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I truly believe that too. It's hard, right? And I love, I tell everyone too, about Linda and she was on, on my show because I mean, she spent a good amount of time interviewing lots of people, you know, yeah, it's, um, you know, I talk to people about, um, those who identify as queer and that they also, again, like hold their own kind of homophobia or different things because of what they've been told within their childhood and religious community and that stuff just doesn't go away and so there's that element of fighting against ourselves mm-hmm. and that can happen within any kind of part of our sexuality with what we've been told and who we are and maybe choices that we have made you know so yeah yeah i like that
1: yeah i mean you mentioned that body image is huge too right like mm-hmm. what are we told about bodies and what bodies are supposed to look like and mm-hmm Just goes forever. All the stuff. A long time. Yeah, yeah. But I think that um, I also would say, like, it's possible to find the joy and the pleasure. Also, that pleasure isn't a bad thing. Mm. You know, pleasure, pleasure is a good thing. And um, Peggy Ornstein did that research about with young girls in
0: her book about
1: how, you know, three thousand young adult girls saying their their definition of of good sex or pleasurable sex was that it didn't hurt and i think about that And i think you know i think about that it goes so deeply and it speaks to so much more because you know i will say right here on this podcast like i want people to have really good pleasurable sex yes and in order to do that there needs to be intimacy and communication and a level of consent and a level of Feeling good about my body and the situation that I've put it in and trusting the other person. And I want all that for people. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, not just uh, you know, it doesn't, it didn't hurt, and now that person won't leave. You know, that's that's yeah.
0: not a high enough bar for me. I read Peggy Orenstein's book on an airplane, and mm-hmm. I had to hold myself back from throwing the book across the airplane. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> because, like you said, they're just just the messages that are still being portrayed. Yep, just irritate me so much, and the fact that so many believe that their pleasure, like you said, is is not something for them to have, and that it is our duty, in in a sense, to give pleasure to someone else, and so in in doing that as well, uh, without. The equity of pleasure in return, it's also again putting uh people in risky situations, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because they think also then that their sense of worth is not valued in the sense of even safety. Yep.
1: And and it and it goes to love your body too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I truly love my body, then I I want to be good to it and I want it to feel things that are kind and pleasurable and I want to be able to say when I don't what I don't like
0: Mm -hmm. as much as what I do to have the conversations I say to parents I'm like really what we have to help our kids know start learning is what they like and what they don't like absolutely happen in conversations and it doesn't have to be anything that's like obviously sexual (laughs) or whatnot but helping them know again like you know what kind of touch do they look like and not like? Is it yep. firm? Absolutely. It you know, what kind of um, love language do they have? Is it gift giving? Is it quality time? Like, it's oh yeah, I love the love those, languages. Those right? are the best. Like starting those conversations around that to then trans- translate later or earlier to be like, you know, it's okay to touch your body. It's important to know what feels good. It's re- It's important to know what does not feel good.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and it's to be able so to say that. that, and even mm-hmm. like, what do you like to taste? Yeah, what do you right. like to smell? Yes. What do you like to hear? Mm-hmm. You know, what What do you? What do you love looking at? Oh, mm-hmm. awareness. Yeah. And those are really precursors about consent. They exactly. really are. And yes. I think if we all knew that, then we wouldn't freak out so much about teaching kindergartners
0: about these things. I know, right? Oh, so. I'm curious is how has uh, your relationship with God changed from doing this work?
1: Oh, it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so, it's just so much better. I I just, it just is. I, it's so much deeper. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. just asking so many better questions. Oh yeah. You know, it's just leading me to think like, well, if, you know, if Jesus said we need to love God and love ourselves and love our neighbors as ourselves, like, what does that mean for me, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. if God had truly created us and called us very good, like, what does that mean? And if nothing ever separates us from the love of God, what what is, you know, how does that live out? And it's called me into a deeper relationship with God, a closer relationship with God. It's called me into Uh, continually looking at and, and studying um, those verses that I go to, to see, you know, where the theological underpinnings are for the work that I do. Mm -hmm. It's caused me to feel much more grounded and um, clear. And, um, and, you know, I have Yeah, I'm a human being, so I have moments, always, you know, lots about, you know, where I'm not feeling the love, right? Yeah, exactly. um, But I know that I can get back to it, and I know that it's always there for me, um, whether I'm feeling it or letting it in or not. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely, um, this work has deepened my relationship with God and Jesus and um and my faith in general. That's awesome.
0: I feel the same. I feel that I definitely have yeah, I feel that my relationship has this richness to it that it didn't before. Yeah. You know. Texture. You know texture.
1: You no, know? yes. there's texture there. Yeah. That's great.
0: What do you know to be true about humans based on your experience around teaching sexuality and faith? What do I know to
1: be true about humans based on this? I believe with all my heart that we are all beloved children of God. Hmm. And I believe that many of us humans have a hard time believing that. And I believe that uh, we really can continually learn and really be transformed when we're open to looking at the sacredness and beauty and diversity of our sexuality and the breadth and the depth of all that it encompasses.
0: Hmm. Can you say that last part again? <laughs> um, well, what
1: did I just say? <laughs> I believe. I that. This is
0: good.
1: What did I say? Did I say about the? I think we. Yeah, I really do believe we can be healed and transformed when we embrace the sacredness and and holiness and the depth and the breadth of all that our sexuality is. Yeah,
0: it's a part of us as human beings. It's part of who we are. Mm-hmm. it's true i i think once we learned to embrace that right to s- stop separating sexuality from spirituality mm-hmm. it's like when we will understand the fullness of yeah and the richness I, I think i have a yeah yeah
1: i have a friend who um takes two pipe cleaners when we train together and twists them up and uses that as an analogy of how sexuality and spirituality just really can't be separated.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. They make something beautiful and new together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I like that visual. Um, Is there a story uh, currently that you are having to reframe for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think really, honestly, if I'm going to be truly honest and vulnerable with you, I think that um, what I need to reframe is that I somehow should be doing more or doing better all the time than I am. That actually, mm-hmm. you know, there's this um, this giant vulnerability that lies just underneath the surface all the time and that, um, you know, reserves are on on low and that it's really really important to be um, kind and gentle with myself in more ways than i often think i should need so um so yeah i think that um, that piece of really uh quality self-care that isn't always self-indulgence but is definitely full of nurture that that is um i think the reframing for me is that that is more of a necessity than a nice to have
0: Mm. yeah that's for sure I feel like it's just really I was listening to another actually podcast earlier that talked just kind of about that like the needing to slow down and this has made us learn that we need to slow down Mm -hmm. and that we don't necessarily need to be going as much as we are or had been before yeah and so we might even even though there's been a lot of tragedy that's happened um also maybe helping us take into accounts like what is pleasurable for ourselves exactly within this time
1: yeah and i have to say i don't always like it when I figure that out you know like I I don't always (laughs) I don't always want to need to slow down
0: (laughs) yeah right well and and but
1: it's 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 like love is hard right like you're saying like it's hard there's
0: there's aspects we don't want to think about sometimes (laughs) yeah (laughs) when we're slowing down we have to think about them yeah yeah that's the truth so Amy I just really appreciate you and the work that you're doing um And I'm so glad you're in this world. And so if people want to know more about our whole lives or your ministry in particular, tell me, uh, tell us how they can get a hold of you.
1: Yeah. So um, the best thing to do is really seriously, just shoot me an email. I'm at johnsona at ucc.org, or if that's even too many letters to remember, owl at (laughs) ucc.org. Uh, will get to me um, we do have web pages but our website right now is just in transition so I hesitate to give you a URL that might take you to a, a nothing found here page and disappoint you so I would say the best thing is to just send me an email if you have questions and I'm happy to answer them and and respond and uh, and uh, set up a chat if you need to chat and uh, and do what What will help? Uh, We also have right now monthly webinars on the first Wednesday of every month from 12 to 1 Eastern. And so, if you want information about um, how to participate in that, let me know. We have different topics um, and we have a a YouTube um, playlist with our past ones on that. So, send me an email if you're interested in that. And we have an Our Lives newsletter as well. So, um, yeah,
0: let me know if I can help you stay connected and it does work because i emailed her <laughs> she gets back to you. <laughs> there you go I'm not just saying it you haven't i am testament so, yeah well thank you again for spending time with me i appreciate it
1: yeah thank you so much it's been great i enjoy. i enjoy speaking with you always it's wonderful <laughs>